0: The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.
1: Thank you, Cindy. Good morning. I'm David. I'm the pastor here at Current. Uh, Wasn't that cute having the kids up here? I thought it was so classic how, you know, they're super quiet, super nervous, walking up, like holding each other's hands. And after they get up there, they're still, you know, more or less holding each other's hands, like waving and all that sort of thing. They get their gifts. As soon as they get behind the screen, it's like, woo, hey, we got these gifts. And they come out. As soon as they come out, did you notice that? i just like, that's so good. Anyway, I, I, some of those kids, I'm like, there's no way they're like this for their teachers all the time back there. <laughs> Having said that, if you want to volunteer, they'll be very good for you. <laughs> Seriously, though, there's a there's a real opportunity there for everyone. If I could just make a, uh, an extra uh, push, too, um, for, for those of you guys who might be interested in investing in, in kids uh, this age, uh, there's a real opportunity there. Gals, we'd love to have you as well. So please don't hear that as a no. Um, but I just want to say if there's a guy who feels tugging on these older kids, there's, there's often a, a wonderful ministry you can have uh, to some of these kids. And there's actually, there's actually a pretty big cohort of, of little little boys, which is, which is fun. Little big boys. Um, they're getting they're getting so big. Um, well, you have your Bibles open to uh, one thirty nine. Let me go ahead and pray, and then then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for these little ones. These little ones you've entrusted to us as families, uh, parents, caretakers, but as a church family, Lord, these are just, Lord, it, it, of, of all the gifts that you've given us in this in this wonderful journey that you you have us on as a faith community. Boy, they're they're up there at the top of the list. Um, Lord, would you bless them? Would you bless their their families, especially as the school year starts, would you just go before them? And would it not only be uh, the case that you bless them and allow them to thrive where they're at in their their schools, um, but would you, uh, through them, uh, be a blessing to many others? Uh, Lord, as uh, we want so much as a church to be outward and focused, would you minister even through our kids, through our families in in the communities that people would come to see who Jesus is, even put their faith in Him in this next school year? Um, Lord, thank you for for them, thank you for Christina, the gift that she is, bless her and all the teachers, Tiffany and others. Uh, Lord, now as we turn our eyes to uh, your word, our minds, our hearts, would you open them that we would learn and understand what you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, psychologists have discovered that they can make people fall in love. All you have to do, apparently, is make people stare into each other's eyes for four minutes, you think I'm making it up? This is a real deal. It, it, it involves a little bit more than that, um, but not a whole lot. Uh, what they've done is they've brought people into le- uh, their labs and uh, complete strangers, had them sit across from each other at a, at a table um, face-to-face, and they'll, they'll ask and answer a series of, of questions that are increasingly personal in nature, uh, and at the end of what usually averages about a 90-minute conversation between these two uh, individuals, they will then stare into each other's eyes for Four minutes straight, which could you imagine? Um, but there's been stories of people f- like finding love and getting married out of these sorts of things, and inviting all the people in the lab and do all that sort of thing. Cindy sent me an article this uh, uh, this week on. Um, uh, for, of, a, of a gal and this guy that she kind of got to know um, who were both really interested in, like, hey, let's give this a shot. This is in the New York Times, actually, actually a, couple, a, couple, uh, a couple years back ago when it was originally written. But she, she and this guy whom they, they freely admit kind of in hindsight kind of maybe sort of could see that they would have feelings for each other, but not really. They were essentially strangers to each other. And they, like, signed themselves up to do this, like, kind of uh, social experiment. So they met at a bar. They didn't want to do it in a laboratory. They met in a bar. They did this whole conversation. And at the end of it, they went out on a bridge. They didn't want to stay in the bar and just stare at each other for four minutes there. Be the, those weirdos. Um, so they went out on a bridge. They stared into each other's eyes for four minutes. And it is so fascinating how she described that experience, at least from, from herself. She talked about how for the first, like, couple of minutes of these four minutes um, that, uh, like, her, she really had to get, like, uh, uh, control of her nerves. Like, it was super awkward. Uh, she just owns that. And she's just like, ah, it was super uh, nerve-wracking. But then once she started to settle into it, she said these words. I know, that, uh, I know the eyes are the windows of, to the soul or whatever, but the real crux of the moment was not just that I was really seeing someone, but that I was seeing someone really seeing me. Once I embraced the terror of this realization and gave it time to subside, I arrived somewhere unexpected. I felt brave and in a state of wonder. Now, some of you guys will wonder if I don't tell you. They did fall in love, and so far as I know, they're, they're, they're together. But boy, do I feel like what she's saying there in those words aptly describes what the ancient king and psalmist David is saying and doing in this psalmist before us, Psalm 139. She talks about the terror that initially she, she is realizing. David, it seems to me in this text, we could say, is peering into the eyes of, of, of who God is. He's taking it in, and there's a, there's a bit of a terror in him of of this realization, who he is. First of all, they say this, this, these amazing things. It's really broken up into about three stanzas. The first six verses are God is all knowing, and then it's uh, God is all present. Verses seven through twelve, and then thirteen through eighteen. God is all powerful. So he's taking in who God is. It's like he's peering in, but it's just it's 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 blindingly bright. It's like it's like God is is almost too radiant. Uh, for david here, and you'll you'll notice that a few times he'll say things like verse six it's too wonderful it's it's too lofty to consider these things so it's as if there's there's a bit of terror in, in his realization, and yet here's what I believe is so helpful from this text today and makes it relevant as we as we consider it in our seasons of the soul series is that although yes indeed. on on, on a certain level, if we really consider who God is, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, all all these sorts of things, it can be really scary if we let that sink in. It is all the more overwhelmingly wonderful and beautiful and able to help us precisely because He's not just those things just in general, but in our lives that we can face whatever is coming at us in life, no matter the season of the soul. Um, But there is a catch, which I think is interesting, uh, that David kind of highlights for us, um, we'll see that we have to be willing to invite God in. Uh, that's, that's kind of the catch David sets sets out there for us, which is interesting to consider for even this guy who's affectionately known in the Bible as the man after God's own heart had to wrestle with this idea of 201 111. Um, so we're going to consider who God is from this psalm, uh, these amazing thoughts. We're going to tackle them as, as, as best we can with the time we have. And then consider how does this help us no matter the season of the soul. So number one, the first first thought we see here, higher levels, we kind of pull it together. We see that God is inescapable. You see in verses 1 through 6, as I mentioned earlier, He's all-knowing. 7 through 12, all-present. And that He's all-powerful, 13 through 18. And not only is this rich theology here, it's majestic poetry. I mean, verse 1, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. What's he saying? He's saying God knows us better than we know ourselves. I mean before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. If you've been here any length of time at current, you know that there's a lot of words that come out of my mouth that I don't necessarily know they're going to be formed on my tongue before they come out. For instance, this last week, if you were here, goodness, a number of you guys reminded me of this this week, I was sharing a story of how all my big family growing up got onto an itty-bitty boat, and we were in this storm, and my dad was back there nervously manning the Utter, I said, uh, unintentionally, the rudder is what I meant to say. Um, and that's, only, that's the tip of the iceberg. Stay with those folks. You you'll get plenty more of those things. Uh, on a more serious note, I mean, like, take the most intimate of relationships. I mean, even, even my relationship with Cindy, there's times where it's just like, boy, things are just, they form on my tongue and come out. I was like, I, did, I would never thought I would have said that. Um, or think about it from this angle. Um, things like, you know, you, you have a close friend, a good roommate, partner, whatever. And uh, they know you so well, you've probably all experienced this, that they can finish your sentence sometimes, which I think is so interesting because whenever it's in the movies, it's always a romanticized thought, it's like, oh, he knows me so well. When people finish my sentence, I just think it's kind of creepy. It's like weird, like, get out of my head. And it's like, but if, if, the, if, if people in our lives can finish our sentence or know us that well, God can know us that well. In fact, he knows us better than we know our own selves. Uh, this verse to me is just fascinating. Before a word, was in my tongue before it was in my word. God didn't just know it. He knew it completely. David is saying that when we talk about God's all-knowing, his omniscience, is even time doesn't affect him in terms of, uh, in terms of how well he knows us. And he knows he, before the word's even spoken, he knows it already completely. I've heard uh, the way time affects doesn't affect God uh, described this way. You know, you can think about our lives as kind of like a, the journey of a of a river has all its bends and curves, and um, and we're on our little boat, just kind of at a given point along that river. And we know our boat, we know our surroundings at a, at a given time, um, but it's as if God is sitting up on His perch and He can see the river for its entirety, the beginning the end, but not just the given point in which we are, that boat, but a snapshot of every boat, if you will, on every point of the river. Does that make sense? It's all clear before him. You know, it makes me think, like, you know, I kind of know my past self, like I can kind of in hindsight, like, oh yeah, I kind of know where I was at there, but really hindsight kind of clouds what I was like then, and I can kind of guess at what's going to happen in the future, but really that's hard for me to know. And the more I live life, the more I realize I don't even know myself in the present, all that all that well, as much as I would think. God knows us so perfectly well, past, present, and future. He's all-knowing, but he's not just all-knowing, he's all-present. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. That's a word uh, in Hebrew, shol, which basically means the, the place of the dead. Uh, verse 9, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, you are there. That's an interesting uh, phrase that the... Uh, English translators kind of had to make an interpretation decision there, a choice, um, because it could mean exactly what it's saying, like, you know, in terms of, like, uh, distance or, or location. But it, it actually could also very well be a reference to speed. If I got on the, you know, if, if, I, if I traveled at the speed of dawn, if I tried at the speed of light, essentially is what he's, he could be saying. Even if I were to travel at the speed of light in any given direction, I would still end up in your presence, is what David is saying. Um, God is everywhere. But notice, he's not just saying God's everywhere like air, you know, like molecules, like he's just infused in everything, and he's just everywhere in that sense. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee your presence? That word presence is interesting. It's actually literally the word for face. Actually, for you, uh, you know, Bible nerds, the word is actually plural, faces, which might be, probably is a nod towards Trinity, but um, but be that, be that as it may. What does he mean by where can I flee... From your face. If you were here a a number of weeks back, we looked at Psalm 27. You remember that David, same author, in the Psalm there said, "One thing I ask from the Lord: this only do I seek, that I would seek your face, that I would that would gaze upon the beauty of the Lord." And we talked about that. We were talking about how seeing someone's face it means you're exposed to them. It means you're in intimate relationship with them. It's kind of like looking into their eyes and all of a sudden falling in love, Uh, maybe not that crazy. Um, It's like going out on a date with someone, someone you have, you know, you're very interested in, first date, and there's, it's equal parts intimidating as it is exhilarating. Or as we said that one day, um, it's like that far side cartoon where when the little guy looked into what he thought was a telescope, looking up at at God, he actually found that God was peering back at him. Um, This is along the lines of what David is saying throughout this entire psalm. Again, we don't get all of this uh, in the English, uh, there's some grammar here that really punches this, but we do get the force of it. Um, what he's doing grammatically here, we're told by scholars, is he's really emphasizing each of the you's. God, you are there. You know when I sit and when I rise. You know me. It's all deeply personal. David's saying, you're not just an all-knowing and all-present God out there, but in my life, um, and then, of course, God is all powerful. Verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you because I am fearfully. Oh, excuse me. You're, you're fearfully and wonderfully See, stick with me, and I'll just say things over. Um, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in, in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be in summary what he's saying is both your body and soul are created by God and upheld by him sustained by him you knit me together in my mother's womb that's a reference to our bodily form you created my inmost being that's a reference to our souls all our days are ordained what this text is telling us it's showing us that from conception to the last breath God is lovingly in charge Even in this broken world that is in desperate need of restoration, every single day you're on earth is ordained. There's a plan. Um, This, by the way, is the reason why everybody over the century who has taken this doctrine of God seriously, from early Christians to ancient Jews, uh, has always said both abortion and active euthanasia is not right. Now, as soon as I say that, I hope you're not hearing it politically. Um, because uh, if you've been around current for any length of time, you know that we don't have a political axe to grind. Jesus actually said, my kingdom is not of this world. So ultimately, as a church, we're not about a political initiatives or agenda. You, having said that, Christians and, and churches, for that matter, need to have convictions and, and live upon them. But my point here is this is not about politics. It's not written uh, you know, during culture wars or whatever it might be. He's saying life is sacred. He's saying life is sacred. God is interested, he's involved, and he has a personal plan for each and every person, even when just being formed in their mother's womb. Um, This is why, for instance, John the Baptist and Jeremiah were called by God and filled by the Spirit, we're told, even when they were still in their mother's womb. Uh, When you're in your mother's womb, you're you. You're the image of God. And at the other end, when, we, when you feel maybe that you've wasted away, that you're useless, saying, why am I uh, even here for? Why, why not end it all? Uh, that's not our place either. All our days are ordained. Um, he's all-knowing, he's all-present, and all-powerful. And, and what's really fascinating to me about all of this is David box at that. It scares him. It intimidates him. It unsettles him. Uh, Who God is scares David, which is so helpful because what he's saying here is not just as a theologian speaking doctrine, but as a poet and as a human being sharing his heart. He's on a journey, even in the midst of his own psalm, trying to figure this all out. And in one respect, when when he figures out who God is, it scares him. That's the language, by the way, of verse 5 when it says, you hem me in behind and before. That's the language of verse 7. Where can I flee? Uh, You know, that word is actually the same word used to describe the prophet Jonah at the beginning of his book. If you know Jonah's story, or if you don't, I'll share it real real briefly here, Uh, God came to Jonah and said, hey, I want you to go to preach to the Ninevites my message of love and mercy. I want you to go to them and talk to them. And Jonah came back and said, "Uh, God, last I checked, those people are your enemy, and they're the enemy of your people, which is me. I don't want to do that. So he chose to flee. The book of Jonah is about him fleeing, choosing to flee. Um, Same word here that David's wrestling with. He's wrestling with, should I flee? Um, And then we look down at verses 11 and 12. He says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is is as light to you. to me, this seems to be the crux of the matter. It's a really interesting thought of what David uh, could very well be saying here, is he's giving us a picture that uh, we can't get away from God, even, when we're, uh, even, if we, even in doing the things we feel like, oh boy, we'd be lo- we, I'd love to be able to get away with that. Even the darkness, even the things that we'd rather he might not see, he sees, <laughs> is basically what David's saying. And that intimidates him who God is and who God is in his life. And you know what, can I just say, personally, that really resonates with me on, on a level. Um, when I was a little guy uh, and my grandpa passed away, I developed this sort of superstitious thinking about uh, him, um, that he was kind of like, I don't know, in heaven or whatever, always there watching my life. He was the first person in my life who I, I knew personally and all that sort of thing, who was just like, who had passed away. And the superstitious th- feeling that I had was, oh, he's watching everything that I do now. Uh, everything I do, grandpa's, grandpa's there. And I developed kind of the, you know, all these emotions become because of it. So, for instance, I, I began to live life in, in a little bit of fear. Like, oh, no, I don't want to do something that's not proud, that, that wouldn't make him or the family proud that we have to give account to at the end. Or I don't want to do something that will be embarrassing to him. So I had this fear in me. I also had this guilt that would follow me because I would inevitably do the things that I'd be like, oh, Grandpa wouldn't be happy with that. And I'd feel guilty about it. And then most subtly of all, I also felt a little bit of probably anger because now Grandpa was there and I couldn't do just anything I wanted to do without Grandpa being there to like kind of remind me of the different things I probably shouldn't be doing. Um, when I was a little older and 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 well beyond that kind of superstitious type, type thinking or however you want to call that, I was... At, I, 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 I uh, began to memorize this psalm, actually, and it dawned on me, forget Grandpa and that weird thing. God knows me so well and way better and just knows everything about me. That's a little unsettling. Uh, Have you thought about that? I mean, think of it from this perspective. If somebody knew you, like everything about you, how would you feel about that? If they had like a tape recording of every conversation you had or a movie reel of everything you did or chose not to do, let alone the inner thought processes that go along with it, how would that make you feel? Uh, it's unsettling. There's no wonder it's, it's a bit unnerving to, God, uh, to David. Why? Because we see here that even the guy who's known as being the man after God's own heart wrestles with darkness. I mean, if he has that, how much more uh, would, would we? And what we see here is he's just saying, if I deserve anything from this God, I understand, it's that he would be against me. Um, that's, uh, I feel like all these feelings um, are, are especially scary when they're laid bare against these final, uh, quite enigmatic verses uh, that we have to deal with in verses 19 through 22. He says this, if you only, God, would slay the wicked away from me. You who are bloodthirsty, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, do you see the difficulty there in getting our heads around that? I confess, uh, I almost thought, hey, it'd be easier just to overlook these verses and read the rest. Um, But uh, we need to grapple with them. We need to understand the difficulty in them. As Jesus said, I came... Uh, and he said, you have heard it said, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. And when, when people persecute you, don't bring down curses like David is here. When people persecute you, bless them, do not, do not curse. Um, so how then do we make sense of this text? How, how then do we make sense of any, any text? Because there's other Psalms that speak similar in a similar light. While Christians rightly conclude that on on this side of the cross, believers will respond to wrongs and persecution differently, we also need to not be too quickly not to deal with these psalms. We need, or, or we'll miss what we should learn. What do we learn? Well, one lesson is that God does indeed hate injustice. He hates injustice. Uh, One person wrote it this way, Most Western Christians haven't experienced much in the way of violent mistreatment, and we should let words like these help us feel the desperation and helplessness of those who have. We shouldn't close our ears to the cries of the oppressed. Second, we should realize that David is also speaking as a king and civil magistrate, um, but nevertheless, he, as as a psalmist, leaves the justice and vengeance to God. But lastly, and most importantly, we need to see these verses through the lens of the cross, remembering that, What our enemies deserve, we deserve. Um, And like we sang about earlier, that it fell on Jesus Christ that we could be pardoned. That is why it says in in a number of places, Jesus died for us while we were still his enemies. Um, So where does this leave us? Like, what, what, what? How does this come to bear on our hearts? What do, what do we do with this text? As David is on this journey, wrestling for us and really with us, if we enter it with him, who God is and how He's so amazingly beyond Him, in that in a very real respect, that's terrifying. It's intimidating. Uh, it kind of jolts him, unsettles him, um, because if he realizes anything, there's any if there's anything that he deserves of God, it's for God to be against him. Well, that's what makes his last his most concluding, his ultimate understanding, uh, so precious, so helpful, and, and, and beautiful. Uh, he, he, he realizes that God, at the end of the day, is inescapable, right? But he's inescapably for him. He's inescapably for us, if we would receive him. Verses 17 through 18 are really the climax of the psalm, most scholars will say. They say this, ho- how precious to me are your thoughts, God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Uh, there's no better promise uh, than this. Uh, no better promise. And what, what is he saying? Well, back in Psalm 17, verse 15, David uses the exact same language there, uh, helping us understand that God is so committed, one, one writer put, put it, uh, to love us and always be with us that he won't even separate us, uh, that, that, that death won't even separate us. Uh, from him. Uh, That's what he's saying when he says, when I awake, I am still with you. He's saying, if you're in relationship with him, even death becomes just a pleasant nap that he'll wake you up from. Uh, There's this wonderful story of Jesus uh, uh, being called by a father uh, to see his daughter, who was sick and eventually actually dies before Jesus gets there and Jesus goes to the girl at her bedside and uh, says a real interesting phrase, Most in, mostly in the Bible. We don't have kind of the actual Aramaic words that he spoke, but we have the actual little words he spoke. It, it says, he said to the girl, Talitha cum." Talitha is a diminutive word for, for little girl, and kum is to rise up. So here's the picture we get as Jesus goes to this gal's bedside and says these words. We, we, get, we get a picture of Psalm 139, our Psalm, verse 8. This little girl is at her bedside, she has made her bed in the depths, so to speak. And yet, verse 5 of Psalm 39, he lays his hand upon her. Verse 10, and his right hand is he able to even go there. And what does he say to her essentially is, sweetheart, it's time to get up. Um, how can Jesus do that? How can this promise be? Well, the answer, of course, is that is the gospel. That is the good news that Jesus came to live the life that we couldn't live, not even David the man after his own heart, and to die the death that we deserve to die, that we could have life in his name. Or to think about it from the sake of this psalm, if you look at the last few verses, when David's talking about these enemies, he died for us when we were his enemies. Or when you look at verses 7 through 12, when he's talking about, where can I flee your presence? How come I can't get rid of you? God will never abandon us, is, how, is what is basically being said on the cross Jesus said my god my god why are you forsaking me which by the way he was quoting another psalm psalm 22 and you want to know what the rest of that psalm is the very next line in that psalm is he says my god my god why have you forsaken me on the cross the next word in the psalm in that uh, verse in that psalm is why are you so far from saving me Jesus on the cross therefore was abandoned so that we would never be abandoned. And then when he talks about darkness becoming light to us, it's so interesting when you look at all the gospel accounts, all the gospel writers talking about the moment when Jesus was being crucified, it, they talk about how even though it was in the middle of the day, darkness descended upon him. Why? So that we would never have darkness overwhelm us. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we're about, that we see in his word, that we can really uh, uh, take in. It is news too wonderful for us, too lofty, but it is accessible. The problem is, David points out, there's a catch. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. Um, but the catch, as with good news, uh, being good news, is wonderful. The catch really becomes, we have to receive it. We have to let it sink in. We have to take it in where we're at, which really brings us to the, the last few verses that he that he kind of ends on. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me kind of summarize what he just said. Uh, God, I invite you in. Would you just have your way in me? Uh, God is there for us. He knows everything about us, loves us, but we have to receive him. He's not interested in making us receive him in forcing us to be in personal relationship, but the minute we say, you know what, I'll receive that, he takes us in as a child. So the question becomes, will you receive him? And, 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 and from that, what does receiving him look like for you today? If you're not a follower of Jesus, here's the good news. If you hear nothing else today, it's that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine, that if you believe in him and what he's done for you, receive the forgiveness of sins, and understand that He rose, that God the Father rose Him again on the third day, that you can have life in His name. If you receive that, He brings you in as a child of God. You can receive that today. Um, And if you have received that, you're a follower of His, what does it look like for you to receive Him today? Because notice, David, if we've been going through the book of Psalms, we've noticed one thing. He's pretty solid in his faith. He's a spiritual guy. Further than most of us, further than me, I would say, and, and further than most of us in our spiritual uh, walk, and yet for him, he had to wrestle with this thought and receive him and let God in. What is that, if, it, if he had to do that, what, what might that look like for you? Uh, I'll tell you what, this prayer right here that we sang earlier, and you, you can read and you can make your own prayer, it's a vulnerable prayer, wouldn't you say? To say to God, test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a, that's a bearing your heart, bearing your soul prayer. Uh, it makes me think of a surgeon who has to use, who has to in order to make us better, m- make a an incision. Or like my little guy who will, from time to time, scrape his knee and it's a not fun, not pretty, and all we need to do is just clean it. You know what I'm saying? Parents know what I'm saying. All you have to do is clean it, get that dirt out, get the yeah the wound taken care. Of. But boy, that doesn't want you don't want to go there. Uh, that's a hard a hard thing to let let happen. Um. Do you, do you have a place in your life where maybe you, you know you need help, but you don't know what kind of help you need? That's the beauty and power of these words. God knows us. We can take it to Him, and He'll, he'll lead us. I, if, if nothing else, that to me is the coolest thing about this, but this text, but we've got to be willing and able to let Him in, and that, that can be painful as, as it is wonderful, scary as it is beautiful and helpful. Uh, there was a CNN business show a while back uh, that was covering kind of this general contractor in the LA area who was going broke good worker, nice guy um, but essentially he was in over his head about to lose everything. so CNN brought in this CEO um, in, a, in a similar in the same field of work um, who was just killing it in his, in his sense like just you know nationally ranked business you know guy it brought this guy in to kind of go and hang out spend some time with this younger dude right um, and so uh, they spent some time together three days actually. Um and this the CEO is just seeing how things were going, trying to figure out how he might help this this younger guy be a success. Well, the CEO saw plenty during those three days, as I'm sure you can imagine. He saw things like this guy's showroom where he's trying to get business, really wasn't doing a good job of presenting who he was. Uh when this guy, this younger guy went to close deals, he would often charge less than what he really should be charging in order to cover the costs and all these sorts of things, right? He's just seeing all these things, sees plenty. Um um, and he's really able to help because he obviously understands the business; it's his it's own bread and butter. But the question really becomes: the question really becomes, will the younger guy want to hear the feedback? You know, that's really the tension of the, of, of the show. Will the younger guy be willing to say, you know what, I, I've been doing things my own way, and I realize there's probably things I need to change. There's probably some course correction I need to do here. It might it might hurt a little bit. That's a big if. You might think, well, hey, dude, just suck it up and do it. But no, this is this guy's life. And the turning point in the show, the show, which is really fun, is that the younger guy really does have a change of heart. He's just like, you know what? Uh, this is too good of an opportunity to pass up. Um, I'm going to let him in to see the whole thing, basically, is what he said. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to invite him in to make the changes that need to be made. Um, God and who he is, by the way, not as we would like to think him to be or like we'd hope him to be, who in his amazing beauty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present self, is intimidating. It's scary when we think about that. But the amazing insight of David in this psalm is he really reflects, a guy who understood God as well as anybody better. His amazing insight is he is inescapable, but he's inescapably for you and me if we would receive him. Will you receive him? Maybe today is for the first time. Maybe today you just need to let him in. Maybe there's an area of darkness in your life you need to bring light into. He just wants to bring his healing hand, his hand of touch with you. And the promise is, as we do, he'll lead us in the way everlasting. Let's pray.